One of my favorite ways to unwind is by playing a game on my phone while I relax on the couch. And June's Journey is my new favorite as it combines several of my favorite things, finding hidden items, decor and design, and solving a murder. In June's Journey, you dive into June's captivating quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret while discovering the truth behind the unexplained death of her sister. As you uncover clues, you also get to build your own island estate with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. You get to collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. You get to chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. So can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Oh, hello, the world. This is They Will Kill, a true crime podcast. I'm Courtney Eck. And I'm Sadie Eck. And we're sisters, and we talk about murder, and that's all I got as far as an intro. I I don't have anything clever to say, so I'll just let Sadie talk about murder. <laughs> I'm ready to do that. Great. Let's, let's do it. Great. I, I know these intros are getting more and more awkward as we go. <laughs> I feel like I should have something prepared, but ultimately people just want to hear about murder, so... That's I'll right. Sh- I think if we just talk long enough to get the intro music mostly done, yeah, like, right. That's the that's the ticket. That's a good point. So yeah, we're at what minute ten? We're yeah. done. Okay, take it away. Uh, tonight, I'm going to talk to you about the perplexing case of Anthony Montwheeler. I love I love everything you just said. <laughs> it's it's like, a crazy one. <laughs> it sounds like a steampunk fantasy. It's perplexing and Montwheeler. <laughs> And then he got his monocle out. And exactly. He rode on a elephant. That... That's right. Nope. Turns out he's just a real piece of shit. So. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very deceiving. It's a real bait and switch. <laughs> uh, I got many of the details for this story from a Rolling Stone article titled Pleas of Insanity, The Mysterious Case of Anthony Montwheeler by Rob Fisher. January 9th, 2017, started out just like any other day for Michael McIntyre, who worked as a fuel attendant at a Sinclair gas station in Ontario, Oregon. Michael was waiting for a customer to pay so he could fill up his Dodge pickup when he heard a sound coming from inside the truck. There was a woman in the passenger seat holding up her arms. Her wrists were bound to the seatbelt with plastic zip ties. Uh-oh. Quote, help me, she shouted. By then, the owner of the truck was exiting the store. Quote, just give me a minute, Michael told him. I have to go inside. Michael was a veteran of the Vietnam War and in his 70s, but still wiry. He told the store's clerk to call the police. Quote, there's a lady tied up in that truck and quickly returned outside. The driver of the truck, a 49-year-old man, was around six feet tall and slightly overweight. He acted like nothing was wrong. His name was Anthony Montwheeler. He wore a blue hooded sweatshirt and a tan baseball cap, sitting with one leg hanging out the open door of his truck. When the gauge clicked $40, Montwheeler prepared to leave. Michael told him to wait. The cops were coming, he said. Montwheeler held his gaze a moment and then reached for something beneath the driver's seat. Oh, God. According to Michael, Montwheeler flashed a wide-eyed expression and plunged an outdoor angler fillet knife into the woman's neck. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, I did not see that coming. <gasps> uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. McIntyre yelled, quote, he just cut her throat. A customer inside the gas station ran outside to help. When he reached the pickup, he later told police he could see that the area around the victim's jugular was, quote, all gone. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> sorry. Coming in hot this time. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. It's okay. Whoa. The customer and Michael tried to intervene, but Montwheeler fended them off with his left hand and repeatedly stabbed the woman in the chest oh. with his right hand. <laughs> oh, no. I am not laughing at that. That is, oh my God. Sorry, Courtney. (laughs) 
<laughs> this is crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Also, I'm just pick. Oh God! Like when a little brother, like hold a big brother, holds a little brother back. Like multiple people trying to help, and he's just fending them off with his left hand while mm-hmm. he. Jesus. Yeah, complete and total, fucking madness. That is like crazy. Oh my God, that is terrifying. Yeah. He got the door to the Dodge closed and took off, plowing his truck through a snowbank that separated the gas station from the street. Wow. Yeah. As police gave chase, Mont Wheeler turned onto a two-lane highway and accelerated, speeding 90 miles an hour through an expanse of snow-covered potato fields. Jesus. David Bates and his wife Jessica, who were parents of five children, were in their Ford excursion heading to work at the St. Alphonsus Medical Center in town. David was a radiology manager and Jessica was an ultrasound technician. The couple typically took separate cars, Jessica later recalls, but because of the snow, David had, quote, decided he would just drive me in so he'd know that I made it in safe. His Montwheeler crossed into their lane coming toward them. David veered to the right, but snowbanks clogged the shoulder of the road. The last thing Jessica remembers from the collision is, quote, the sound of the change drawer smashing into the dash and then blackout. Ugh. Jessica survived with a concussion, three broken ribs, a fractured hand, and a collapsed lung. David, who was 38, was pronounced dead at the scene. Oh, God. As was the female passenger tied up in Montwheeler's vehicle. Her name is Anita Harmon. She was 40 years old. Jesus. Montwheeler, who suffered only minor injuries, was taken into custody. That night, at the same hospital where Jessica and David worked, he only stirred to request a cup of ice and occasionally complained of pain. He told a nurse his hospitalization was due to a fall. When the nurse mentioned the crash, Montwheeler said, quote, That's not true. Don't go there. I'm here because I fell. While searching Montwheeler's truck, officers found an empty package of latex gloves, heavy-duty zip ties, a roll of duct tape, 100 feet of rope, a small pair of binoculars, and a black nylon scabbard on the driver's side floorboard, and next to the passenger seat, the bloodied fillet knife. Ugh. It turns out that Montwheeler had an extensive criminal record, including multiple counts of theft and attempted fraud, but only one previous incident of violence. What the heck? Mm-hmm. So Anthony Montwheeler was born in November of 1967. His mother, Linny, was 21. His father, Wayne, was 59. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. One family member described Wayne, a Wisconsin-born brick mason, as, quote, a big fancy talker, a con man. Mm -hmm. He could be physically abusive and frequently showed signs of instability. So this is Montwheeler's father we're talking about. Right. Just to be clear. At one point, he took an axe to the family furniture and poured paint all over the house, Another time, he was caught in women's clothing, watching his wife through the window of the beauty shop where she worked. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. I mean, wear all the women's clothing you want, but that just paints a super creepy picture. Yeah. Yeah, that guy's a total creep. Yeah. In 1974, after less than seven years of marriage, Lenny was planning to leave him. Wayne cornered her in the parking lot of a restaurant in Bend, Oregon, and shot her in the chest with a twenty-two caliber handgun. Oh, no. Before the police arrived, Wayne went back into the restaurant, going back outside every 10 minutes to see if she was dead until the police arrived. You're kidding me. No. Montwheeler was six at the time of his mother's murder. Mm. His father was convicted of manslaughter, spent time in prison and the state mental hospital before dying of a heart attack in 1983. Jesus. Montwheeler and his younger brother, Monty, went to live with his aunt and uncle who had three children of their own. Wait a second. Monty Montwheeler? <laughs> yes. I, yes. <laughs> no. I thought the exact same thing. Yes. They Ooh. named their child Monty Montwheeler. Ah, look, I support it. Fuck it. Yeah, man. It's, it's so bad. It's great. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Continue. No, I had the... When I read that, I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, in high school, Montwheeler was a three-sport athlete. He loved to fish and hunt. He could, quote, build or weld anything, and once made a winning ice sculpture of Bart Simpson at the Halfway Snow Festival. Uh, So far, so good. Mm -hmm. His cousin says, despite this, quote, Tony always had a screw loose. Mm -hmm. Their neighbor's dog would bark whenever someone walked from their house to the barn. 
One night, Montmiller announced that, quote, they wouldn't have to worry about that dog anymore. Mm-mm. He had driven over it with his pickup. Mm-mm. When told to bury the dog, Montwheeler retrieved a post hole digger and took one swipe of earth. Quote, he shoved the dog into that hole, his cousin says. Quote, he could have spread it out, make a good size hole, do it respectfully, but that's not what he did. Oh, God. After high school, Montwheeler joined the Marines. For three years, he was stationed in Guam, where his military police unit was responsible for defending a stockpile of nuclear weapons. He earned two ribbons for good conduct and was briefly wed to a young woman from Guam, who he dated for a year. But he would also suffer a loss that he would later claim haunted him for years. During one patrol, his close friend, a fellow Marine named Michael, stepped on a landmine and was killed. The death of his friend haunted Montwheeler. Yeah, that's awful, Mm -hmm. but... I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Lots. Yeah. Mont Wheeler left the service in 1989 when he was 22 and moved to Oceanside, California, where he met Rosa Caresco. She was 23 years old. According to Rosa, Mont Wheeler was handsome and charming, an outdoorsy type and a tireless worker. He didn't drink or take drugs and rarely spoke of his mother's murder. Quote, maybe her birthday would come around or Christmas, and he would say, you know, I wish my mom was here, and that would be it. After they married, they briefly moved to Oregon, and Montwheeler got a job as a corrections officer, but left the prison after an inmate accused him of stealing naked photos out of the mail. <laughs> the couple returned to California, where Montwheeler joined a street sweeping business owned by Rosa's father. Following the birth of their son, Emilio, Montwheeler became increasingly withdrawn disappearing for hours at night and missing shifts at work. Quote, he wasn't much of a sleeper, Rosa says. For a while, I thought maybe he's on something. He was just always up. Uh, but he was never the type to do drugs. Montwheeler eventually moved back to Oregon to work as a truck driver, leaving Rosa behind with Emilio. In March of 1996, they arranged to meet in the parking lot in Oceanside to talk about a divorce. Rosa told her family, quote, if I don't come back in a couple of hours, there's something really wrong. Mm-mm. When she got into Montwheeler's truck with Emilio, who was then three years old, Montwheeler unexpectedly pulled onto the freeway. Quote, change of plans, he said. I think that maybe we just need some time together. He drove 15 hours to Baker City, which is in northeast Oregon, where his brother Monty lived. Over the next two months, they stayed in a rented trailer and Montwheeler appeared to descend into madness. Oh, no. Rosa found clippings of newspaper stories about men who got away with killing their wives. He regularly took Rosa and Emilio on early morning trips to a nearby payphone, where at least once he seemed to believe that he was speaking to his old Marine buddy, Michael. Oh, boy. uh, The one that died. Yep. Montwheeler was also, for the first time, abusive. During one argument, he threatened Rosa with a rifle. Another time, she says, quote, he held me down and started choking me. Oh, no. Rosa eventually planned an escape with her brother, Javier. He would drive up from San Diego to retrieve her and Emilio at Monty's house. The hope was that Montwheeler's brother, though not in on the plan, would help de-escalate the situation. Right. Unfortunately, everything went wildly wrong. After Javier called to check that Rosa and Emilio were in place, Montwheeler grew suspicious. He sped off with his wife and son in the front seat of the pickup. On the highway, he abruptly pulled over to collect his thoughts. Quote, he's talking to himself, Rosa recalls. He's saying all these weird things, and I took that opportunity to, to jump out of the car. Oh, thank God. I was going to say, please tell me she jumped out of the mm-hmm. car. Good girl. She's, she screamed for help on the shoulder of the highway. Montwheeler pointed the twenty two caliber rifle at Emilio's head and ordered Rosa back inside the truck. Oh, no. Yeah. He then bound the wrists to the seatbelt. Quote, if you're going to leave me, he said, I'm going out in a blaze of glory. Oh, God. Montwheeler drove to Monty's house. When he pulled up, Javier was standing outside. The two started to fight, with Monty trying to calm his brother. In the truck, Rosa worked herself free from the seatbelt. She turned to Emilio, but he held tight to his bindings, afraid of what his father might do. Oh, buddy. I know. Quote, I just started to panic, Rosa says. I had to make a quick decision, and I had to leave my baby in the car. Oh, no. I know. I cannot imagine. No. It was a chaotic scene. At one point, Montwheeler rammed his truck into Javier's car. Javier drove through a neighbor's fence when he tried to flee with Rosa. Finally, Montwheeler grabbed the rifle and his son and ran inside the house. 
As police gathered on the lawn, he unloaded a series of warning shots and lit his pickup on fire. With a shot? I don't know. I think I'm going to assume so, right? Like he probably <laughs> shot the gas tank or something. Or just like lit it on fire. This guy is crazy. I he don't is, know. I, but that would be hard to just do, 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 do. Like the yeah. cops are surrounding you and just whoop, whoop. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm going to assume that it was yeah. by shooting it. But, but I don't know. Yeah. You're right. Know. This guy's crazy. Yeah. He's established that. Mm-hmm. His cousin, Jim Hildebrand, then a sheriff's deputy, arrived to help talk him down. After 10 hours, Montwheeler surrendered. Wow. Yeah. Quote, Emilio had wet himself, Hildebrand recalls. I'm so glad the baby was okay, though. God, me too. I was yeah. like, please don't, please no. don't tell me that something happened to the baby. No, I mean, babies. other than being traumatized for life after watching a standoff between his father and the police and his mother right. almost murdered, but. Yeah. Quote, Tony was just totally out of it, staring out into space, telling us, they can't take my boy. They can't take my boy. Montwheeler was charged with kidnapping at gunpoint. At his trial, he was found, quote, guilty except for insanity, which meant he avoided incarceration, but would remain under state jurisdiction for the maximum possible sentence. In this case, it was 70 years. So Montwheeler, who was then 29, was sent to the state mental hospital in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of going to prison, he was sent to a hospital. Got it. To complete his sentence. So according to medical records, Montwheeler, quote, experienced auditory hallucinations and endorsed some paranoia in the early stages of his hospitalization. But he eventually seemed to settle in. He loaned sharked and sold CD-ROMs of pornography to the other patients. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get that an entrepreneurial spirit. That's right. A psychologist noted that, quote, the staff were always challenged to try and keep up with his latest attempts at engaging in commerce and getting away with it. (laughs) (laughs) Engaging in commerce. (laughs) He's just just slinging burnt copies of porn. Right. (laughs) But where is he burning the porn? I don't, I don't know. I mean... I don't know how much of a lockdown this hospital is. I I don't know. Yeah. I'm so curious now. We don't have to dwell on it, but <laughs> A, where's the porn coming from? B, who's got the... It, it was really hard. Oh, no. Wait, when was this? This was... Uh, we're in the, like, 90s. Oh, yeah. It was super yeah. hard to burn DVDs back then. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, man. This guy's a, yeah. he's a damn genius. <laughs> Two years into his stay, he incited a riot on his ward. Of course he did. Mm -hmm. Uh, In October 2002, after more than five years of being institutionalized, the Psychiatric Security Review Board, I'm going to call it PSRB, granted Montwheeler's request for conditional release. Uh, So in Oregon, the way they have their mental health system set up is they have their state hospital Mm. and there's a board that oversees all of the patients in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones that sort of decides on whether they need to stay in the hospital or can be let out, either like completely let out if there's no more indication of mental illness. Mm -hmm. Or in Montwheeler's case, he's granted the conditional release, which means that he's still supervised by the PSRB. Right but lives in a foster home or a halfway house. Got it. Got it. So one more. In- yes. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, but I do have one more question. How were the inmates who got the porn watching the porn? <laughs> All excellent questions. Yep. I can call. I'll call the state hospital and see. Would you please? Go ahead. <laughs> you need to get back to the, get back out there and get more information. <laughs> Uh, quote, he was very likable, says Mary Lee Burgess, who ran the Burgess Adult Foster Home in Ontario, where Montwheeler first lived after the hospital. Quote, but he just had a way of working people and doing crooked things. He was involved in at least three property fires, one in his apartment that led to a $24,000 insurance payout, and another in a friend's camper that got him booked for, quote, reckless burning. Jesus. Mm-hmm. The PSRB can revoke conditional release at any time, sending its charges back to the state hospital. Yeah, especially Mont- if they light places on fire. Right, yeah. right. So Montwheeler spent years going back and forth between the state hospital and his adult foster home after breaking the law mm-hmm. and getting arrested for nonviolent charges on multiple occasions. Right. Uh, Roberta Chandler, another patient, began dating Montwheeler in 2003, shortly after he moved to Ontario. 
quote, I was in love with him, she says. He kind of treats you like a queen. He would give anybody anything they needed. But then there's that awful Tony. According to Chandler, a fire broke out in her apartment, which Tony claimed was due to her dog knocking over a halogen lamp. Mm-hmm. On the insurance claim, quote, he wanted me to say we had more stuff than what was in there, she says. The insurance company threw up a red flag. I didn't get anything. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. In 2005, Montwheeler met Katie Gill, who would become his third wife. He met her in a welding class at Treasure Valley Community College. The couple eventually had two kids, though Gill lived with her parents while Montwheeler stayed in his adult foster home. In the spring of 2009, after more than a decade under PSRB jurisdiction, Montwheeler requested a full discharge. I'm fine with this, his caseworker wrote in a letter to the board. She reported, quote, My thought is that Anthony has a mental illness, but with symptoms well managed. If he does get into trouble in the future, it will more likely be due to his antisocial or, quote, criminal traits rather than mental illness. Well, <laughs> that's some sort of circular logic, isn't it? Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> his mental illness isn't fine. I mean, he's a full blown criminal and an arsonist, but other than that, like, right. he should be fine. Right. And the problem is with Oregon, and we're going to talk about it more here uh-huh. uh, coming up, but Oregon has a system where we, they actually have a mental health system, uh, which a lot of states just kind of don't. Right. But you have to be mentally ill right. to stay within this part of the system. Right. And um, it's separate than the prison system. So she's saying, yeah, he's right. a criminal. And that's one thing, but he, I don't think it's because of his mental illness. I see. And so, and so it's not appropriate for me to continue to give him care. But right. yeah, he needs yeah. to, he should probably be in jail at that yeah. point, but he's right. not. Right. That, got it. Yes. Oh, the but, system. I know, right? Montwheeler's request, however, was denied. Within a year, he and Gil had divorced and Montwheeler was engaged again. This My time, God, man. I know. <laughs> uh, when Megan read the story, she was like, <laughs> I hate this guy. And how in the world did he get so many wives? <laughs> <laughs> So within a year, he and Gil had divorced and Montwheeler was engaged again. This time, his new fiance was Anita Harmon. And remember, Anita is the one that was in the truck and got stabbed at the beginning. That's what I thought. Murdered. Yeah. So Anita Harmon was a mother, a hard worker, a kind-hearted optimist who took in a menagerie of stray animals and believed that troubled men could be healed. Mm. I know. Quote, she was surprising. She was fun. She had a goofy laugh, said her sister Stacy. She loved to read. If she had a book in hand, you couldn't get her attention. Oh, buddy. Anita loved spending special time with her kids, including clog dancing classes with her daughter mm. and martial arts classes with her son. That's so cute. No. She was born in Colville, Washington, the youngest of four children, three girls and a boy. Anita loved sports, especially horseback riding and volleyball, and thrived on family camping trips that involved, quote, a tarp on the dirt, not a tent, and not in an RV. Wow. You know, the opposite of the camping that we like. Yeah, (laughs) that's very Pacific Northwest of her. Mm -hmm. She was attentive to what people would say. Stacy said, if mom mentioned she liked something, Anita would probably give it to her. Oh, Every winter, no matter what else was going on, Anita would make multiple batches of her grandmother's Christmas cookie recipe. She customized each batch to a loved one's preference. Gee, many Christmas. It was a beloved ritual, and Anita was always in charge of the process. Quote, that was Anita's yearly family demonstration of love, says her sister. Oh my god. Anita suffered from bipolar disorder and lived in a fully equipped 1,800 square foot apartment that her dad, Bud, built on the property. Mm. She had two kids from previous relationships. When her condition darkened, Anita's apartment would be in disarray, dishes piled in the sink, garbage collecting, and the litter box full of waste. Mm -hmm. Quote, I would hear her upstairs sobbing, her mother Susan says. Her depression was just so great, mm-hmm. but in the months before her death, a new medication seemed to, quote, give us back our old Anita. Oh, God. Bipolar oh, is so hard. So hard. She helped cook and do the dishes at Thanksgiving and baked sugar cookies at Christmas. Quote, she was always very thoughtful, Susan says. The night before her death, Susan said, quote, I was so happy. We had settled things and had said we loved each other. And that was the last time I saw her. Oh, my God. At least they got to do that. 
Right. Right. Yep. I get the impression that Anita was very close. Her family was very, very close to each other and supportive of her and her kids. Sounds like it. I mean, to build her an apartment to give her the support that she needs, you know, like work her way through her bipolar disorder Mm -hmm. and support her children. Yeah. Like, ugh. (laughs) Yeah. Especially just have to have a breakthrough and feel like, okay, we can be back on track and have a happy family and then this piece of shit. Mm hmm. Yeah. So in 2009, Anita met Mont Wheeler in the checkout line of Walmart, where she worked as a cashier. Mm. She told her family he was the man of her dreams. But for Anita's family, quote, alarm bells went off from the get-go. Uh-huh. Mont Wheeler seemed controlling with Anita, unwilling to engage with her close-knit family and secretive about his past. No good. No. Her mom in one of the articles talks about how he'd come over with his kids from his previous relationship and they'd go into the apartment and it would just be like screaming and stomping and really just really awful. Yeah. Long before Anita's murder, there were threats and bullying and pervasive fear for her and her family. Her sister who lives near Seattle remembers feeling quote, so afraid I'd get a call from Idaho that Tony went to the house and killed everybody. He just had a thing about him. Oh my God. I can't imagine living no. like that. No, no. I can't imagine me living, like, in fear for your life. That's what I mean. No, I can't. Like, I worry enough about the people that I love. And we have regular lives, you know, with regular (laughs) problems, let alone homicidal partners. In early 2011, Mont Wheeler and Anita, who worked together hauling scrap metal, were convicted of stealing $14,000 of steel from an elderly couple. Wow. Just so many details in this story that are so strange. Like I know. I mean, steel is expensive, but fourteen thousand dollars worth of steel is a lot of steel. And yeah. how do you steal it? How do you steal the steel? And then where do you? How do you get it out of there? I'm sorry. Just no. I understand. <laughs> I know. I will dig next time. I will dig. No, I'm not. I'm, you, I'm definitely not, not, not insinuating that you need to have these answers. It's just like this guy just picks the most complicated cumbersome crimes to commit and pulls them off i know a lot of these cases we cover the amount of money that comes and goes through people's hands criminals hands usually it's just astounding it's such a good point and yeah it's such a good point i have way too much anxiety to live like that but it does make you feel like I don't know. It's probably easier to get a hold of money than we think it is, you know. What right. I mean? <laughs> if you're willing to steal and rob Yeah, if you're willing to kill. set aside all of your morals and just be a horrible yeah. person, you mm-hmm. get tons of money. Yeah. Just steal the That's steal. That's what I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> so Anita was sentenced to 16 months in prison. Mont Wheeler got two years. Wow. Mm-hmm. So in prison, Mont Wheeler kept up regular contact with Anita. Quote, he wrote to her every day they were in jail and professed his love for her, says her mother, Susan. Ugh, what a scumbag. Mm-hmm. Uh, in September 2012, when Montmuller was in county jail awaiting transport to prison, he passed a note to the sheriff's deputy. Quote, I do not know if it was a dream, a vision, or voices, Montmuller wrote. Quote, was told that Anita and I would be in an accident. He promised to tell the deputy, quote, where the dead bodies are that Anita hit in exchange for not killing us. What? Yeah. And then he added, quote, Anita did not do it on purpose. It was an accident. Uh. Mm-hmm. Are we going to find out if that was just a delusion or? Mm-hmm. De- definitely a delusion. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just kind of showing. His instability. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That None of that happened. Right. So Anita returned home in 2013. She got a job at Dickinson Frozen Food, which is a felony-friendly onion processing plant in Fruitland. Things quickly turned sour for the couple after her release. They divorced while Mont Wheeler was still in prison after Anita charged $1,700 in phone bills, loan payments, and various Amazon orders to Mont Wheeler's debit card. Hmm. Uh, some of it without his permission. Mm-hmm. Nearing the end of Mont Wheeler's sentence, his caseworker personally requested a spot for him at multiple residential facilities. So he's still under the care of PSRB at this time. He just wasn't in the care home. Yeah, because he committed a new crime. Right. Uh, nearing the end of Mont Wheeler's sentence, his caseworker personally requested a spot for him at multiple residential facilities. All of them rejected him, including one run by Lifeways in Ontario called McNary Place. Its medical director, Dr. John Bates, had grown up with Mont Wheeler. 
Bates's father was the principal of the high school, and Bates and Montwheeler had played on the football team together. Calling the past relationship an, quote, unavoidable conflict, the facility turned Montwheeler down. Instead, in April 2014, he was sent from prison to the Oregon State Hospital. In what turned out to be a shocking coincidence, John Bates had only temporarily avoided Montwheeler. The driver of the Ford excursion who Montwheeler killed, David Bates, was John Bates' younger brother. No way. <laughs> Shit. No. Oh, God. No. Oh, no. So if he had allowed him to come to his care home, maybe it could have been yep. avoided? Oh. It would have been avoided. <laughs> oh, that yeah. is the saddest thing I've heard since the last time I heard a sad thing, which was... I know. Holy I know. shit, man. Yep. I have in parentheses over here, one million fucking sad faces. Yes. So sad. Jesus. Like, what? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just some kind of weird, like, fucked up younger brother of karma take over every once in a while. Something. And just like, I'm going to play this prank. I, that's... It's so awful. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Quote, it just kind of turned into this ironic nightmare, Bates says. Yeah, no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. So Montwheeler faced grim prospects. Without a community mental health center willing to take his case, there was little possibility of obtaining a conditional release. As long as he remained under the jurisdiction of PSRB, which would be another 50 years, Mm -hmm. he could be stuck inside the state hospital. I see. So his option is to stay in the hospital unless a care home will take him. Right. Got it. Yep. So when faced with this reality, Montwheeler suddenly changed his tune. He decided to tell the state review board that, from the start, his insanity defense had been a fraud. Whoa. Yep. Holy shit. That's a Hail Mary. Yep. So he's decided now, since he can't live in the conditional release system, like, you know, the halfway houses, that he's going to get out altogether. So if he can prove to the board that he's not insane... Or it doesn't have mental health issues, mm-hmm. then they have to release him altogether. Really? They don't, he mm-hmm. wouldn't then have to like go back through the system and be tried as a not insane person? No. No. Ooh. Yep. Shit. Yep. Uh, so many rabbit holes you're sending me down for this case. <laughs> like, I'm going to have to go and read about that. I mean, I know... I we'll mean, talk about it a little bit more. But... Okay. Okay. I'll save. I'll save it. Yeah. But holy moly. Mm-hmm. So during his kidnapping trial in 1997 with Rosa and Emilio, yep. he had said that his actions were guided in part by the voice of his dead mother, who had been shot and killed by his father when Montwheeler was a small boy. Mm-hmm. Montwheeler now claimed that he had studied a copy of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders and mimicked various behavioral traits. Mm-hmm. As for hearing voices of deceased loved ones, Montwheeler told the board, quote, I had basically made that up too, I guess make myself sound crazy. I didn't hear anything. I had a choice. Either I could go to prison or I could take an insanity plea and go to the hospital. And all I got to do is make myself sound like I'm crazy. And that's the route I took. Mm -hmm. He added, I've been using the system and just I'm done. I'm sure it helped that his wife said that he'd been sort of descending into madness since they'd gotten there. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, So like we've already talked about a little bit, Mm -hmm. typically after a period of observation at the state hospital, insanity acquittals in Oregon are granted a supervised release back into the community. Montwheeler had spent most of the past 20 years not in his hospital, but rather living in a state subsidized housing Mm -hmm. where he also received regular medical treatment and caseworker visits. So none of this he had to pay for. Right. I'm sure it's super cheap too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, and he was able to go get his thousands of wives and like, live a, live, <laughs> live his a, life. Yeah, live steal a, the steal, <laughs> steal the steal, burn the porn, uh, <laughs> sell the porn. Man, this guy's done. Yeah, he's done better than I have, and I've, mm-hmm. I've had to pay for all my shit. Right. He had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, but had not been involved in any new episodes of violence. Doctors and caseworkers had routinely described his mental illness as well-managed and under control. An arrest for aggravated theft, not an episode of psychosis, had returned him to the state hospital. Almost immediately upon arriving in April of 2014, he claimed that he did not belong there. He told the doctors and social workers on his ward, quote, I know I don't have a mental illness. So he was requesting a full discharge, 
Uh, in Oregon, state jurisdiction over psychiatric patients, even in criminal cases, is allowed only if two conditions are met. The offender continues to suffer from certain severe mental illnesses like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia and be a danger to the public. Wait, so real quick, it was theft that got him back in the hospital. So this is, so Anita and Montwheeler stole the steel. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And so then he was in prison. Yep. But he's still under the jurisdiction right. of the PSRB. And so he can't be, he did his time for the theft in prison. Right. But he can't just go back out into the public. Okay. Well, I was just making sure that there wasn't an additional, because you said it was theft that put him back. And so I was just making sure that... No. So So we're just talking about how, how, like, what's leading up to him asking to be let out. Perfect. So it's the theft that got him back into prison, into the hospital, not being violent. Stealing the steal. Right. Stealing the steal. Let's never forget. Yep. Prior to the hearing, a forensic psychologist had done a risk assessment to determine Montwheeler's capacity for violence and found that if unsupervised, his, quote, risk of violence would be high and most likely be targeted at his intimate partner or other family members. Fucking nailed that right on the head, didn't she? Yep. But Montwheeler's psychiatrist at the state hospital testified that two decades of clinical records, more than 700 pages of documents, showed no sign of mental illness. Ugh. For more than a year at the state hospital, Montwheeler had been off medication, which is typically a risky proposition for someone with bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. but had not suffered any episodes of psychosis. Quote, facts are facts, the doctor said. My conclusions are based on the observations of multiple people over a very long period of time, during which he has not displayed any symptoms consistent with the diagnosis mm-hmm. of bipolar disorder. Right. So the hearing lasted more than two hours, but Montwheeler testified for only eight and a half minutes. Mm-mm. When a state official asked if he'd ever had trouble sleeping, Montwheeler said, quote, no, I've always been able to sleep at night. Had he ever been depressed or felt like life was not worth living? Quote, I've always been happy, Montwheeler said. I mean, I've never been depressed. So then, the official pressed, you've never had any trouble getting out of bed or going about your activities. Quote, no, Montwheeler replied. I've always showed up for work. I've always been Johnny on the spot. After a brief recess, the review board found Montwheeler was, quote, no longer affected by qualifying mental disease or defect, Mm -hmm. which meant the state was legally required to discharge him. Mm -hmm. Offenders who are discharged from the state hospital, even those like Montwheeler, released before the completion of their full term, are not diverted into penitentiaries. Mm-hmm. They are set free without additional oversight or guaranteed access to state mental health care. What? Mm-hmm. Just nothing. Nothing. They're fine. Not a parole officer. Not nope. a somebody who's like in between a parole officer and nope. a psychiatrist. Nope. No mental health care at all. Holy shimboli, man. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a, that's a problem. <laughs> I mean... I can understand wanting to not keep people in psychiatric care if it's not appropriate. It's extremely expensive. Sadie and I worked, you know, in the group home. We've mentioned that before. And holy moly, man, just to keep kids cared for, keep adults cared for, it's extremely expensive. So Mm. if it's not appropriate, that makes sense. But uh, I mean, he got put in there for a reason in the first place. And then to just completely set him free without some sort of... Supervision. In between, yeah, mm-hmm. some sort of transitional supervision or check-in or fucking phone call or anything. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yep. The board's chair, Katie Lieber, a Portland-based attorney, was clearly upset. Quote, I don't even know where to start, she said. While maintaining a life for 20 years, she noted, Montwheeler had avoided prison, lived rent-free, and received expensive care from trained professionals. Mm-hmm. Quote, I mean, that is troubling on all sorts of levels, Lieber said. I'm assuming somebody in the system might do a forensic look at this and figure out what the hell happened. But as of now, you're discharged. Yeah. Before Montwheeler walked out the door, she added, quote, My hope is that you'll do the right thing. I am sincerely worried you won't. I don't even know what to say. Right? Right. A month after his release, one month Mm-mm. after his release, he would go on to murder Anita Harmon and David Bates. Jesus. One month uh deep sighs everywhere mm-hmm. wow yep 
So the PSRB's offenders, most of whom have been charged with serious crimes, including kidnapping, rape, and murder, rarely commit another act of violence once under state supervision. Wow. The PSRB estimates that the recidivism rate for offenders on conditional release is about a half of a percent. Wow. Yeah. In a recent grading of post-conviction mental health care in the U.S., Oregon, along with just three other states, received the highest ranking. That's good for them. Yeah. But if Oregon's PSRB had been something of a bright spot in an otherwise dismal picture of mental health care in the U.S., the case of Anthony Montwheeler underscored everything the public typically distrusts about the insanity acquittals. Mm-hmm. At the upcoming trial, which is set for July, so this is actually happening right now. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Montwheeler is likely to again claim that his crimes were the result of mental illness. Mm-hmm. Concerns that Montwheeler has repeatedly taken advantage of the system and may have the opportunity to do so again have only been exacerbated by competing explanations for what went wrong with this case. Yeah, no doubt about it. At issue, as much as anything else, is the criminal justice system's ability to separate the, quote, mad from the, quote, bad, and what it chooses to do with offenders who fall into one camp or the other. Right. That was a direct quote quote from that amazing article, by the way. So at the discharge hearing, Montwheeler was asked why it was just coming out now that he had lied initially. Montwheeler acknowledged that while he was, quote, on the outside, he could work and still stay in the group home and not have to pay rent or anything like that. Under the PSRB, he said, quote, you have privileges. In some ways, you get special treatment. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. After the board discharged him in December of 2016, Montwheeler got a job at Dickinson Frozen Foods, where Anita worked. This upset her. They were now divorced and had been locked in a dispute over the money charged to Montwheeler's debit card. According to a police report, the couple had a fight on the plant floor at Dickinson, where Montwheeler, quote, threatened Anita with releasing some sexual videos he had in his possession. Mm-hmm. Anita reported to Human Resources that Montwheeler might kill her. On December 30th, the couple met at a McDonald's. Quote, it didn't sound like it was a good meeting, Detective Scott Mosley, who is the investigator on the debit card case, said. Mm-hmm. When the plant put them on separate shifts, Anita during the day, Montwheeler at night, Montwheeler quit. Mm. He was living at his brother Monty's house in Emmett, Idaho, but also staying with his new girlfriend. Her name was Nicole Krill. On January 8th, he changed his Facebook status to, quote, in a relationship, writing to one friend, quote, time to enjoy life and be happy. But insomnia had set in around Christmas. Quote, my sleep is one of my major warning signs, he later told a forensic psychiatrist, like when I kidnapped Rosa. Oh, and like when you testified that it had never been a problem. Right. Son of a bitch. I know. Around 4 a.m. on the morning of the killings, he told his girlfriend he was going to his brother's. Around 5.30 a.m., one of Anita's neighbors spotted his truck parked on a side street. Police later found Anita's beat-up Toyota 4Runner a half a mile from her home in the middle of the road. Mm. The headlights were on and the keys still hung from the ignition. Mm. Quote, he got her right up the road here, says Anita's father, Bud. The terror she must have gone through from that point until he stabbed her. I can't hardly handle that. No, that's what, I mean, that's... It's one of the scariest things I've heard in a very long time Uh, for everybody involved, too. I mean, the people that were trying to help. I mean, that is, I I have, yeah, I felt that one in my cells. Yeah, it's so fucking scary. It really felt bad for putting you through that. So during the police chase after he stabbed Anita, uh, Montwheeler called his girlfriend. He said that he loved her, but wouldn't be able to see her anymore because he had hurt Anita. Mm. Quote, I knew that he had been in the mental hospital, Nicole later said, but I'm just flabbergasted as everyone else. The question of whether Montwheeler's insanity plea was correctly adjudicated, whether he lied in 1997 about hearing voices or later lied about not hearing voices, is being revisited in the run-up to his trial in July. Mm-hmm. So far, there are no easy answers. If he does suffer from a mental illness, one that caused him to be extremely violent, how were the hospital staff and the review board so easily fooled? Totally. And if he does not, why, a month after winning release, did he commit a senseless murder in full view of multiple witnesses? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. There's so much to unpack. I'm going to be processing this one for a long time. And 
definitely will need to do some reading to understand the system better. But mm-hmm. well, and one Ooh. possible one possible explanation for Mont Wheeler's actions, which is on the morning of the killings, Mont Wheeler was simultaneously experiencing a psychotic episode and launching a characteristically elaborate scheme. Uh, to return to the, quote, special treatment that he enjoyed under the PSRB. He knew mm-hmm. he would need to commit a crime. It may not be a coincidence that he smuggled Anita 20 miles over the border into Oregon from Idaho, mm. which is a state without an insanity defense, let alone a PSRB. Mm-hmm. The fact that four years before the incident, Mont Wheeler had warned in a note that, quote, Anita and I would be in an accident could either be evidence of a prior episode of psychosis or a useful artifact in the construction of an insanity defense. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. It could also be both. Mont Wheeler, constitutionally manipulative and mentally ill, might have lied about faking his diagnosis to get out of the state hospital. Mm-hmm. He might also have killed Anita, not simply because he was released from PSRB, but because he wanted to get back in. Ah! <laughs> What is happening? Jesus, man. It's like a snake eating its tail. Right? It's so crazy. It's so crazy. It's like Primal Fear, that movie with Ed Norton and Richard Gere come (laughs) to life. Oh, my God. In January of 2019, Mont Wheeler was found mentally competent to stand trial. He has since entered a not guilty plea on multiple felonies. Anita's family recalled an early arraignment where Mont Wheeler sat speechless, slouched in a wheelchair. Quote, he sure looked crazy, Bud said, never once lifted his head. Susan refused to believe it. Quote, it looked like he was faking being mentally ill, she said. If he goes back to some kind of mental facility, he's going to be doing the same things he got away with before. Mm-hmm. The couple are raising Anita's youngest child, who is now 15. Quote, It's like ripples in a pond, Susan says. It just keeps going. On the one-year anniversary of her daughter's death, which is January 9th, 2018, she brought flowers to the Sinclair gas station. Quote, When I walked in, she says, the clerk just gave me a great big hug. Oh, so sad. I know. She wanted to call me, but (sighs) just didn't know what to say. Oh, God. Yeah, a lot of people just don't know what to say, Susan says. Anthony Montwheeler's murder trial is scheduled to start in July. Uh, We'll offer updates as more information becomes available. Wow, dude. (laughs) And Uh, there is the very perplexing case of Anthony Montwheeler. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like a charming steampunk tale. And it's it's like Inception or something. (laughs) I don't know. God. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. I don't even know. I don't even know. Yeah, I don't either. It's a lot to chew on. Even like researching the case, I'm still, I'm all twisted up. I mean, yeah, there's so much to unpack. So much. I mean, he really sounds like a mastermind. Like he sounds like he's actually high level sociopath or psychopath, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, like who's just one of those lazy ones who just is happy to live within the system and get away with whatever he wants. Right. I have to like watch a video of him or something. Cause I usually make these decisions based on my. Oh, gut. he's, I mean, he, he looks nuts. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like we'll Charlie pictures. Manson kind of nuts. He sort sounds like of. a Charles Manson sort of a character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is. Yep. A rounder Charles Manson. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like who just wants the attention and, Mm-hmm. Just moves in and out of different sort of forms of life. Right. Happily. Well, clearly has no empathy for others. I mean, duh. Clearly. And I can't imagine anything crazier than what he did. No, no. And so he was like, what do I need to do to get back? I don't oh want to go God. to prison, but I want the comfy, cozy life of PSRB. Right. So he, yeah, I mean, brutally murdering somebody in front of multiple witnesses is a, yeah. a really good way to get yourself get back yourself into back a in. state hospital. Oh my God. What mm-hmm. an awful nightmare. I know. What a nightmare of a person. Yep. Yep. Oh, I don't even know. That is so terrible. Mm-hmm. Her poor family, her oh, poor no. kids, her poor everybody. Yeah. Shit, man. Yeah. 
there you go well for a while (laughs) (laughs) don't worry i will be god that was a good one thanks really good one i mean really fucked up and really sad yeah well definitely really scary yeah yeah as more details come out about the trial i'll be sure to follow it and we can do a little little update episode absolutely yeah i gotta know what they figure out about this guy and what they Mm -hmm. figure out about the system Mm mm-hmm I don't, I do not envy people in position of making those decisions like legally, right? Men, you know, uh, psychiatrically, like. right? There's no easy answers, you know, no. for mental illness, and people need treatment and don't necessarily need to be, you know, unless they're dangerous, they don't need to be locked away forever. Absolutely. Um, but there are people but, who work the system. I mean, we right. took care of a kid, one kid in particular, I won't go into details because it's immoral and illegal, but. Man, that kid really worked us over. Mm-hmm. I know you know who I'm talking about. And mm-hmm. he would like play crazy when it was necessary and kind of make things up to put us in these awful positions. And, you know, he just knew exactly what to do to twist the screws in to the to people. To get what who, he wanted. Yeah, yeah, to get what he wanted. And he was only 12. So imagine yep. after like 20 years of that. It's also like the son of Sam, they figured out, he finally admitted later that he... Uh, had staged all of his crazy letters and like mm-hmm. his crazy house and the you know the fact that the neighbor's dog told him to do it he he staged all that to stay out of prison so yep there's a super high profile case that it's so easy to find and read about and be like well that sounds like a pretty good deal if I just crazy yeah holy shit man yeah good work oh, thanks yeah. you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well uh uh, just a little bit of businesses because i've got to get busy googling anthony montwheeler montwheeler Uh, monty montwheeler and anthony montwheeler (laughs) yeah tony montwheeler and monty montwheeler Montwheeler. yeah i don't even know the only business that i really have is that dark topic podcast is back so exciting jack luna i don't think you understand how much mm-hmm. the ex-sisters adore you on so many levels. Yep. And we're so glad that you're back. Not that yep. you're, you're, I can't, what was it called? Crime. It was machine. Just crime machine. Yeah. It also has the calls to 911. Right. I which I haven't listened to that one. Yet. I haven't either. I heard him advertise it today on the most recent episode of dark topic. Um, I'll check it out. Crime machine is, it's just more produced. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not, not good. It's just not, I love your little sweet voice telling these terrible tales and his writing is amazing. And amazing. He just has such a, he's such a sympathetic character. He, mm-hmm. Jack Luna himself. So, so happy you're back. Yay. I know. I hope he keeps it up. The, I noticed the last episode he put out was in early May. So I, I know. I hope I know. he can keep on keeping on because it really is. It's the best. Yeah. It's, yep. it's very easily my top two favorite podcasts of all Same. time. Same samesies i love you thank yep, you for so go listen to any of you have not heard it you, you're welcome you're welcome start listen to them all yeah it's like i don't know it's, it's just one of those best. podcasts that i would listen to courtney listened to it first and told me about it and i'd text her and be like oh my god why is this guy such a genius oh <laughs> well and then he announced that dark topic was over and i actually cried yeah, when i listened to the announcement well yeah. it's just he's so Anyway, we don't need to fawn over Jack Luna for much longer, but we love him. (laughs) Dark Topic, Invisible Choir, both just so, so good for different, very similar, but different reasons. Yeah, I don't think I really have. I know. I don't think I do either. I am going to say this so that I commit to doing it because tomorrow is my plan is tomorrow's Memorial Day for us. Part of my plan is to get the giveaway going of my clothes. I'm going to start giving away my clothes. (laughs) (laughs) This is what it's coming down to, people. I, <laughs> <laughs> why, why not? Just giving them all away. No, it's time for me to change. It was like 85 here to this weekend. And mm-hmm. I, I have no, I'm not prepared. So I got to switch over my summer and winter clothes. And in the process of doing that, I'm going to take out all the pieces that I don't need anymore. And I'm going to put them on Instagram. And you can have them in exchange for reviews. So... If you haven't already, if you haven't seen this, if you're not following us on Instagram, all you have to do is review us on whatever you listen to. Apple Podcasts is preferable, but... I think that Apple's the only one that does a review system. A review. I, so, Apple. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you can't, if you're a Samsung user or whatever, message me and 
we'll figure something out. But review us, take a screen cap, send it to us on through Facebook or, oh, there you go. You can review us on Facebook. So review us on Facebook or review us on Apple and take a screen cap, send it to us, and that'll automatically give you an entry. And then I'll be in touch over this week about how I'm going to roll it out. But I think I'll roll it out next weekend. And basically I'll just post it and whoever has entered can claim a item and then I'll send it to you. It's like a big girlfriend sale, except you don't have to pay any money. <laughs> yeah. If you're, not think, a, if you're not a girl that wears Courtney size clothing, you oh, can sell it. Well, and also <laughs> my wife has a lot of, like she wears a lot of men's clothing and I think I'm going to ask her if I can have some of her stuff too. So our male listeners were also can also get involved she's got cute super cute style so everybody wins there you go winner winner chicken dinner winner winner take my old clothes (laughs) just hating myself inside for saying that out loud (laughs) Uh, i think that's it i think that's all i got weirdly so we appreciate you guys so much for listening so much and messaging and sending nice messages mm-hmm. and feedback and all the stuff. I, mm-hmm. It's such a roller coaster. I mean, I don't think we mm-hmm. need to tell you how vulnerable it is to do something like this. And uh, we're open to all kinds of feedback, but you get some negative feedback or some scary feedback, and then you get a big old batch mm-hmm. of great feedback, and it makes you want to keep doing it. So, yeah, you know, I spent a lot you. of time reminding myself that not nobody other than you thinks about this podcast as much as I do. <laughs> People aren't just like sitting around thinking about our podcast. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, but when they do, when it sparks something and they take a moment, when you take a moment and you send us a message to tell us that you love us or comment on something on Instagram, it really does just keep motivating us to keep doing it. Really, it really does. Yeah. It's a lot of energy. It's a lot of emotion. It's a lot of money and time. Mm-hmm. And we love doing it, but obviously we want to do it for other people. Because mm-hmm. other then it's just a weird other snake eating its tail of Sadie and I listening to our own podcast. So yeah, which we probably would do at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty good episode. Thanks. Good job. Yeah. Good job. Uh, uh, so yes, thank you guys so much. Yeah. And to be in contact, find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at They Will Kill. You can email us at They Will Kill Podcast at Gmail dot com. Our website is They Will Kill. Oh, we haven't, we don't talk about our Patreon as much. And shit, mm-hmm. this week we should probably get out another Patreon episode. But mm-hmm. we do have a Patreon. You get goodies, you get fun stuff, yep. and you get bonus episodes. Right now, most of our bonus episodes are free because I think we're still technically in quarantine or should be in quarantine, even if mm-hmm. we're not entirely in quarantine. So uh, for now, most of our episodes are free. Eventually, half of them will go under the paywall of Patreon. But in the meantime, you get two bonus episodes a month and then a bunch of cute stuff. So check us out over there. Yep. You get enamel pins. You get enamel pins. Oh, yeah. Through, what, June 15th, I think, yep. you get an enamel pin. Anybody gets an, an, an enamel pin if you sign up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, AJ Bergantz, for our music. Thank you, AJ. Rate, review, subscribe. Yes, please. And you get my clothes if you do it. For- <laughs> <laughs> uh, and remember. Um, I, I took a screen cap of a thing this is just somebody's tweet it says remember precedented times those fucking ruled (laughs) (laughs) so today we remember precedented times look at old days (laughs) look at old days come back could uh you know hug your friends hug your friends see your friends hang out with your friends go to the grocery store without a panic attack without I kind of am into the mask thing, though. I'm just like such a horror movie uh, fanatic that I don't like when the shelves were mostly bare. I was like, ooh, it's so apocalyptic. I'm just going to embrace it. Now everybody in masks. I'm just like, ooh, it's so sci-fi. It's weird. <laughs> Did you hear that it's the 17 year return of the cicadas? So we've got yes. this. We've oh, got like the plague shit. and the pest, pestilence coming now. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh uh, no! Here we go. Yeah. Yep. That's but in me. the meantime, it's 85 degrees here, so fuck it. God, yeah. I don't care. That's right. Go sit, sit in the sun. Sitting on the deck in the sun, mm-hmm. waiting for the second coming. <laughs> I feel like we'll be okay in the second coming if yeah, we're pretty fine. good people. I feel like most of our listeners are going to be fine too. 
I feel like the people who think that they're fine are probably not very fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think it got a dirty surprise coming. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> Remember out. precedented times. Be good people so that you that's can right. hang out with us on big party that's earth. Right. After the cicada. Uh, that's right. Other the cicadas. Yep. All right, guys. Love you. We love you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.